It reminds me of a conversation I had a few years ago where I was trying to explain kind of the concept of relationship anarchy to someone and was talking about how, you know, normally we think that romance and sex and love all have to go together and that that those things can each happen differently in different relationships. And one of their questions to me was, they kind of thought about it and they're like, so how is romance without sexual attraction and physical intimacy different from friendship and i was just kind of like yeah you got me mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't know and i think that's yeah. like our words are just so limiting for it they're limited welcome to the multi-amory podcast i'm jace i'm emily and i'm dedeker we believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past so whether you're monogamous polyamorous swinging casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking about the triangular theory of love. We really like triangles on this podcast. Everything is triangles. Yes. It's the strongest shape. We love triangles and triangles are love, as it turns out. This is a model for relationships that was developed to help understand all the different permutations of love and relationship. We will talk about the different fundamental elements of love, which is water, fire, uh, mm-hmm. Earth and Air. Mer- Mercury, boron, I think, and boron, and boron. Yeah, <laughs> gotta have that. Uh, all the fundamental elements of love and how they translate to different types of relationships, and how you can use this knowledge to better take care of yourself and your relationships. So, defining love—that's a real brain buster, isn't it? <laughs> how does sure one is. even do that? How? With how this triangle? Yes. Well, okay. So. Defining love, labeling love, quantifying love. It's something that human beings have been trying to tackle for literally centuries. There's been a ton of writing, storytelling, general creation from multiple cultures across the world. Far too much for us to do an in-depth review in this episode. If you have an interest in that, hearing more about how specifically the philosophy around love has changed over the years, we recommend checking out our episode with philosopher Carrie Jenkins all the way back in episode 113. Or if you don't want to listen to a multi-amory episode that is that old, because who would, you can go check out her book, What Love Is and What It Could Be. So first, let's talk about some caveats, because, you know, we like to preface the episode by doing that. It's important. So we're going to be doing some labeling and naming and and kind of talking about different forms of love in that context. And that may be a little bit challenging to some listeners, understandably so, because labeling and modeling something is amorphous and subjective is this like concept of love and what it is. It can rub a lot of people the wrong way. And applying this very like logic brain thinking and naming to emotional experiences can can feel constrictive and maybe a little bit hyper-rational. It's like a very Dedeker thing. I think of like <laughs> what, to, be, to be hyper-rational? <laughs> it's very rational. I don't know, cerebral. Yeah, but, but it can be, feel maybe like you're forcing just this wide spectrum of emotion into perhaps a more restrictive box and imposing limitations. 
our our podcast motto used to be relationships outside the box. Oh, that used <laughs> to be the motto. Long yeah, time. way back. Remember? Long way back time in the ago. baby days when we were a baby podcast. Exactly. So it, it's interesting because now we're talking about a little bit more boxy, but hmm. but going beyond that, but <laughs> it's more yeah. like relationship inside the triangle. That's you know? true. Yes, not a box, but a triangle. So I don't know. It, it, I know personally that I've felt challenged in the past by trying to live up to a particular label like queer or bisexual or relationship anarchist, solo polyamorous, any of those things that that can be challenging for some people to live up to labels. So that's a caveat with this episode. But, you know, we're going to we're going to try to move past it and just something to think about. On the other hand, on the other hand, for some people, labels can be very freeing. So for some people, finally having a name or a label for something that they've felt or something that they're doing can be very freeing and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Oh my gosh, there's a name for this. I can call it something instead of always kind of mumbling vaguely about what I think it is. There is a lot of power in language. So naming a large concept or putting a word on something uh, can, can be uplifting, can be freeing. And finding the right identity or label can feel like, oh, I finally found this. I have something to Google now if I want to learn more about this. It can be really helpful in those ways rather than feeling restricted or stuck or challenged by it. So, you know, on either side of this, there's there's pros and cons to this. Um, you know, this is like people who find for the first time that there's a word for being demisexual when that's how they've felt that way all their life or polyamorous or non-binary or aromantic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So Tikva Wolf actually made a really cool comic describing this very phenomenon, this kind of dual nature of labeling and names and modeling. And I think like in one panel, there's a person who's like, oh my God, labels are so restrictive. Who needs them? And they like ball up a piece of paper and throw it over their shoulder and they walk off frame. And then another person comes in frame, finds the crumple up piece of paper, opens it and looks at it. And they're like, oh my God, there's a word for this, this way that mm. I've always felt. I'm so glad that I found this label. And so, yeah, just to bear that in mind that for some people, any kind of label applied to a relationship or love is going to be really challenging. For some people, it's going to be like coming home and it's actually going to be a blossoming. And you may start at one camp and end up in the other. I know for my own life and relationships, I've started with a certain label, then been like, ah, that's bullshit. I need to get rid of it. You know, and other times I've been like, wow, this is an amazing new word that I can start to use to describe myself, my identity, my gender, you know, things along those lines. So just bear that in mind as you're listening to this episode. So triangles, right? Oh, Am yeah. I right? Back to triangles. Well, yeah. Great. We love triangles. I saw, I saw scalene, hmm. right yeah. triangle. What are, the, what are the to- type of triangle? Well, mm. what are the hits? What are like the top triangles that you're a fan of? The Triforce of communication. <laughs> that's yeah, probably that's a my good favorite one. triangle. That's well, a good I one. think that the Triforce is an example of an equilateral triangle. Oh, oh. yes, you're right. You're right. Yes, you're right. And then what was it? Scaling is all the sides are unequal or all the oh, sides are different. Gosh. And then isosceles. And I, what's isosceles? Yeah. All of you listeners to multi-amory that love <laughs> They're gonna be like, ah, trigonometry. Ah, ah. <laughs> Let us know. It's very important that we sort this out. 
I mean, yeah. really, I just feel like those labels for triangles are really restricting <laughs> and that a triangle Never. has to like live up to being scalene or not. And yeah, I know. What was the scalene triangle before we had the word scalene? I mean, come on. Okay. It was so just a triangle. Really, though, the triangular theory of love. So this is a theory that was developed by psychologist Robert Sternberg. He initially published this theory in um, an academic journal, the Psychological Review, way back in 1986. So he published this theory, this model, after essentially doing a survey of many, many, many previous studies on love and on the development of romantic relationships. I read through his entire 1986 paper. As a matter of fact, I read through so many studies as a preparation for this episode, so many, so that all y'all don't have to, so you're welcome. Thank you. And I'm going to start you out with a super brief overview of the triangular theory of love. So basically, if you imagine a triangle shaped shape, uh-huh. If you will. Well, you mean a triangle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, what kind of triangle? Is this isosceles or scalene? We're going to start out. Equilateral. We're, what? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start out imagining an equilateral triangle. Okay. Thank you. Okay, but cool, it doesn't cool, necessarily cool. have to stay that way. But for now, we're going to start out there. Okay. So essentially, there's three different factors or scales or elements of love that kind of correspond to each point of the triangle. So... One of those factors is intimacy, so feelings of attachment, of closeness, of bonding, of familiarity with someone. The second point on the triangle is passion, or feelings of enthusiasm, physical and emotional arousal, or attraction, or longing for somebody. And then the third point on the triangle is commitment, which is the decision to stay in a relationship with someone, the decision to move toward future goals with someone. And also, this is interesting, this is in Sternberg's words, the decision that you love the other person, which makes it sound like, ah, do you decide that or not? But I think it's, I don't know if it's like a, you decide whether or not you actually love someone, but almost kind of like the realization of like, yes, I love this person and I'm going to commit to them. Mm. That's kind of what commitment's all about. In this yeah, model. maybe it's like that that deciding that I'm going to use the word love instead of liking or being attracted to or being mm-hmm. into or something. Yeah, yeah. Or it maybe makes it's, sense. It's just like the decision to stay with the person all the time. Like, or the, the decision to continue being in a relationship with that person, which is a decision that you make every day. Right. That right. you're in a relationship Yeah, with kind them. of that decision to be intentional in this. Yeah, right. Okay, okay, so so intimacy means not like physical intimacy. That's more about mm-hmm. feeling close and understanding yes. and bonding. And then yeah, passion is the one that's more physical and potentially and it's stuff. it can be physical okay. and emotional, but it's it's kind of like there's this this high affect, this high vibration, even though that makes it sound super hippy dippy. Um I love you know, it. but okay. but like attraction, high emotion, physical arousal and attraction, things like that. Right. Okay. And then commitment. Got it. So those yes, are the three. Intimacy, passion, and commitment, or the IPC triangle. Sure. Something like <laughs> <There you that. laughs> Oh, yeah. He's making it our own. I okay. know. He's doing the <laughs> Jace thing. Here it goes. It's called the All Triforce right. of Love. It's the PIC Triforce of Love. <laughs> I don't think we can use the word <laughs> Triforce again. <laughs> yeah. That's already a thing that we've okay. made. Uh, okay. 
All right, so let's talk a little bit about this this triangle. So according to Sternberg, the amount of love one experiences depends on the absolute strength of these three components, and the type of love one experiences depends on the strength relative to each other. Yeah, so that mm. that's maybe a little confusing right out the gate. And it's easiest, I find, to talk about this with examples. You know, Sternberg himself in his studies came up with kind of specific examples of how this may play out in real life that we're going to go over. Yeah, and this is not a complete list. And bear in mind that the naming and labeling are from Sternberg and they can be improved upon. Maybe Jace is about to try to improve upon I was them, just but... going to say, let's try to improve <laughs> them as we go. Okay. 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 <laughs> this first one already is like, uh, okay. Um, the first one is liking slash friendship. I like you maybe a little bit <laughs> high intimacy low passion low commitment yeah so the idea being there's okay. a person that i feel very close to very attached to but maybe i don't feel a big like physical or emotional them. draw i don't feel like i want to bone them and i'm also not necessarily making future plans with them and so maybe okay. it's a close friendship oh boy kind. this next one so but then but then yes. to go back to the the first part of what emily said before that the amount of love is the absolute strength of all of it and the type is relative to each other so this list we're going through is describing the type based on them relative to each other mm -hmm. but as we all know with like friendships that might fall into this sort of category there can be you know much closer ones and less close ones so i guess that's mm -hmm. like the magnitude versus the type or the shape the of the triangle perhaps yes. the size of the triangle yeah. and the shape of the triangle exactly there you go uh number two empty love high commitment low passion low intimacy mm. so something like this is according to sternberg a loveless sexless marriage well or I, I, I think it calls to mind like our stereotypical image sure. stereotypical image of the loveless sexless marriage where it's like yeah we're committed we're to staying each together other for the kids maybe it could be that or for whatever reason really but maybe we've drifted apart and we're not really attracted to each other anymore or possibly an estranged co-parenting relationship or certain friendships yeah, so so this is the thing again is that like Sternberg calls this empty love, but again, something that's high commitment but low passion and low intimacy also could be just a friendship. Like maybe you're deciding to co-parent with a friend, for instance, even though you don't feel necessarily I, I don't know, you know, I, I think the thing is that it's like this could be a wide variety of potential relationships. Yeah, okay. low intimacy though is the caveat yeah, that's there true. in my yeah, opinion. maybe not as much friend there, but I was thinking that this could be an ideal business partner. Oh yeah. Like that's we have true. high commitment to each other, even though we're not super entwined in each other's lives and we we're not boning each other. This could be an ideal <laughs> business partner, actually. Yeah. Yeah, right? that's true. Or, or like an ideal workout buddy, or you know, mm -hmm. any number of things. I could see this being a great relationship rather than empty love. Come on, Sternberg. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of this, bear in mind that he's coming from first of all, he's writing a lot of this in the eighties. And then second um, of all, he's also coming from a lens of really looking at traditional romantic relationships and kind of gradating them there but he does he is honest about the fact that it's like yeah you can still apply this model to think about family relationships friend relationships you know but i do think because he's looking through that romantic relationship lens there tends to be a little bit more of a value mm. judgment that gets applied okay. to some of these things yeah sure. yeah i bet some people though when they heard that empty love they're like yep in there yeah <laughs> so yeah. all right number three uh, on this list is fatuous love 
So this is high passion, high commitment, but low intimacy. Uh. So the example would be like love at first sight or really fast relationship escalator, getting married after you've been dating for a month. There's not that intimacy because you really just don't know each other that well yet, but you've jumped into very high commitment and a lot of high passion, which is why you Mm -hmm. did that. Yeah. So this is the one we're always talking about with NRE. Like that's sort Mm, of the fatuous stage. Maybe don't sign anything. Just don't sign. Don't sign. (laughs) Um, It also, for some reason it brings to mind the image of like an Austinian couple that are like courting each other where it's like, because of our like culture, we've, yeah, we've literally never been allowed to actually hang out with each other and be friends, but we know that we're attracted to each other and I'm going to try to get you to marry me. Um, and then I the see. intimacy can come later. That's, okay. that's kind of right. what I think. Of. Yeah. Uh, next one is companionate love, which is high intimacy, high commitment, but low passion. So this could be certain long-term relationships where there's still a lot of closeness and connection, a lot of commitment but not that like passion and and attraction and excitement, maybe some family relationships, strong friendships. Uh, Maybe this is not the, the like empty love, like not the loveless marriage, but maybe it's just, you know what? We're just great as really good friends and partners, even if we don't have a very sexual connection or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, I've worked with a lot of clients and I feel like I've seen a lot of people specifically in the non-monogamous community who are much more likely to, I think, be able to, in a healthy way, come to this place with, let's say, a nesting partner of like, well, we've been together 15 years. We absolutely love each other, care for each other, want to be in each other's lives. But like, we've learned that we're just really not sexually compatible Mm, and we're both okay with that. We're both okay with like seeking that in other people, for instance, but we still feel very high intimacy, high commitment, just not that passion. And for some people that's a nightmare. And for some people that's fantastic and perfect. Yeah. And and then this next one is romantic love, which I feel like his categorization of this is different than I've seen it in other studies that use that label romantic love. But in this one, it's high intimacy, high passion, but low commitment. So like we're into each other and we're really close with each other, but we're not really committed to each other. So maybe a fling or an affair yeah, I, I think to put like a more like non-traditional relationship, non-monogamy lens on it, it could be someone where to do a, a callback comet. to our, could be a comet. Yeah, it could be to like to do a callback to our Jessica Fern episode. Like maybe this isn't necessarily an attachment-based relationship hmm. potentially, or or maybe I feel really close to you and I have a lot of attraction for you, but we're not exactly planning on moving in together at all. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be a non-escalator yeah. relationship potentially. Or maybe we've just identified that we don't, like we, it would not be a good fit for us to live together or to share finances or do any of those sorts of like commitmenty things, but mm. we're still very close and very passionate with each other. Yeah. I, yeah. I could see that being a great intentional type of relationship too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next example is what he calls infatuated love, which is high passion, but low intimacy and low commitment. So this could be something like a temporary crush, someone you're just like really drawn to and really attracted to, but maybe you don't know them very well. And you're also not committed to them because you don't know them very well. Uh Uh, It could be the beginning of a relationship when you're first experiencing that attraction for someone and you're still first getting to know them and possibly a one night stand. Now, this is interesting because Sternberg actually puts one night stand under the romantic love category. So as in a one night stand is high intimacy, high passion, but low commitment. Mm 
And I thought that that was a little bit debatable because I'm like, well, with a one night stand, how much intimacy are you really having? You know, it's more passion. It is much more passion. His model. Yeah. And of course, I'm sure there's a certain amount of intimacy that you need to develop when you're getting, uh, you're on the trajectory towards heading toward bed, I suppose. But I feel like that kind of more falls under the category of infatuated love, according to his labeling system. Yeah, that makes sense. And then he talks about consummate love. Consummate cheese. Like you're consummating... Uh, I think <laughs> different, we're that, I think. different, but but it's okay. it's like you're firing at all cylinders. It's high intimacy, high passion, and high commitment. You know, Sternberg lays this out as like possibly this ideal form of love that a lot of people strive for, but he is also realistic in talking about how this is a state that can be temporary and can come and go throughout a relationship. And I guess if you think about it, I do think that that is kind of the romantic model that a lot of us are encouraged to strive for is, yeah, we're super close. We're best friends. The sex is amazing and is always amazing. And we stay together till we die. You know, I mean, that's, the one that's love. Tall order. For sure. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a tall, tall order, but that order. is the one that that is set up on the pedestal as the ideal. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, there's what he calls non-love, which is just like n- n- nothing, nowhere on the triangle. There's no intimacy. There's no commitment. There's no passion. It's it's just hmm. like okay. an acquaintance, like a passing human, like a random pass. guy walking his dog in the street that I just yeah. happened to glance at. <laughs> I mean, uh. even I think about some of my coworkers, and I'm like, "You're cool, but that's <laughs> it. Like that's it." <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd go past that with them. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. So okay. Fun. <laughs> this was a fun. Uh-huh. Like, well, just kind of looking at it and being like, "Huh, okay." If I'm if I'm gonna look at this model and truly take my relationships in my life and like stick them in these categories, mm. where would each of those relationships go? What do you think? Oh goodness, I don't know. Well, I mean, we have pretty high commitment. You do have high commitment. And high intimacy. We do have high intimacy. And low passion, I guess. So companionate We're not really doing love. it. No. It's pretty companionate yeah, slash yeah. businessy. A companionate podcast. So it's Well, we always describe, yeah. I mean, I always describe us or, ourselves as like co-parents, mm-hmm. like intentional co-parents of a podcast baby. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So probably a, a lot of like very close friends, I feel, fall under that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, no, that makes well, a lot of sense. Although we like have high commitment because we also like own a business together. So that's a different, that's like a a high level of something. Whereas some friends, I mean, the commitment is just to like hang out or or see each other or like be in each other's lives in some way. Right. But not necessarily all the time. Like we have to be. Yeah. And that's actually something worth pointing out here that for the one that he labels as liking slash friendship is that like high NFC, we're very close, but we're low passion, low commitment. And something that, you know, we talk about on this show a lot is this idea of romantic relationships. Aren't the only relationships that we can be intentional about and that we can be committed to. And that that's not generally the way society teaches us to think about relationships, but it's interesting that in his model, that's the friendship is the intimacy, but no commitment and no passion. And then his companionate love is the one that's got the commitment and intimacy, but low passion, which is just kind of this like, well, you know, we're, we're in this family type relationship. 
or maybe we're in this kind of sexless marriage or something, but we still care about each other, or maybe we're co-parenting. But I think that very much falls into that idea of like an intentional friendship, one that you actually mm-hmm. are putting intention and, and commitment into, which is a cool thing. I like that. Well, it, it, this definitely, I think, calls back to our chosen family episode a little bit as well, because it calls up some questions around our definition of commitment. Um yeah. Because now I know a lot of people who in a very chosen family kind of way have decided like, yeah, this is going to be my person. They're a friend. We're not having sex. We're not doing the traditional coupley thing, but like this friend is the person who is going to be there for me if I get sick and I'm going to be there for them if they get sick and we have plans of buying a home together. You know, and so that that brings in this sense of very intentional commitment and intentional commitment toward future goals even if we're not looking like a traditional couple by any means. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it it just, this reminds me, my last thought before we move on to the second half of this episode was, um, it reminds me of a conversation I had a few years ago where I was trying to explain kind of the concept of relationship anarchy to someone and was talking about how, you know, normally we think that romance and sex and love all have to go together and that, that those things can each happen differently in different relationships. And they're, one of their questions to me was they kind of thought about it and they're like, but so what's the difference between like, h- how is, what was it? How is romance without sex different from just love? And it was kind of oh, this I thought like, it was different from friendship. Yeah. Or different Wasn't from like friendship love. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's, maybe I should use that term better. They're like, how is romance without sexual attraction and physical intimacy different from friendship. And I was just kind of like, yeah, you got me. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't know. And I think that's like, our words are just so limiting for it. They're limited. This is kind of a new way of of looking at that, maybe redefining how we look at those types of, like how we look at labeling or describing those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I would really encourage people out there listening to not necessarily get hung up on like the labels that Sternberg himself put on these things or the values that he put on these things. Because yeah. again, like the empty love one, the high commitment, low passion, low intimacy could be a wonderful relationship if yeah. that's what's appropriate. And that's what these two people want. And what he calls the consummate love, this ideal of high intimacy, high passion, high commitment, you could have all of those things and it could still be a toxic, shitty relationship. <laughs> totally. So <laughs> yeah, just, just bear that in mind when thinking about these things. So in the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about more research and critique on this triangular situation that we've got going on here, and also some real-world applications. But before that, we're going to get into some ways that you can help support this show and allow us to continue bringing it to you for free. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just 
keep on giving great gifts to us and to our <laughs> listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. So some of you out there are listening to all this and thinking, oh my gosh, wow, that makes so many things in my life and my past relationships and my present relationship make sense now. And some of you out there are listening to this and thinking, this is a load of horseshit and I hate it. Hate labels. I hate triangles. Now, to (laughs) both of you... (laughs) The worst. I have good news. Because other researchers seem to agree the theory and the model has mixed support. You know, both a fair number of people who seem to agree with it and support it and the opposite uh, from other researchers who also study love and relationships. Yeah. So the first critique is something that we've heard a lot and that we mention a lot on the show is that it studies presumably monogamous heterosexual couples. And the other big critique that comes up a lot in studies about love and sex and relationships is that almost all of the data comes from studies of college students, uh, which, which, yeah, just really limits things like not only the age of the people being studied, but also things like their socioeconomic background and their race and things like that, just based on how higher education is already skewed in those areas. Researchers Michelle Acker and Mark Davis studied an older skewing sample of respondents in order to address this. Thank goodness. We need <laughs> we need some people other than those college students. And Sternberg himself would go on to repeat his study with a sample that had a much wider age range. I'm glad that they did that. He should have done that. And in his repeated studies, he even came to the conclusion that the data is generally but not completely supportive of his triangular theory of love. <laughs> He came to the conclusion that ultimately his model would probably be best combined with other models, such as attachment theory, our favorite, in order to present the most robust account of the complexity of love. That's good. I mean, don't just like take one thing and say, this is it. This is the end all do all. This is what love is. Yeah, I appreciated that. Like, like, I think a true researcher should, you Mm -hmm. know, being open and honest about like, you know, the fact that like, yeah, there's a lot to support this, but it's also not 100% airtight. Mm -hmm. And that this is probably best served by also roping in things like attachment theory, to fully understand all the moving pieces of love. So let this be a lesson that if anyone out there is trying to sell you on this is 100% accurate, or this science 100% proves this, it, it don't, it ain't. Yeah, I, what was it? There was uh, something that I think I put on um, a wish list some year. It was a a little pillow thing for sleeping on an airplane, but that rather than being like an inflatable pillow, it's sort of a little plastic, almost like a neck brace that kind of lets you rest on it. And anyway, I sent this wish list with this item on it to my dad and he 
wrote back to me and he was like, oh, well, it says on the box that it's scientifically proven to do whatever. And my, my dad being <laughs> dad a college a lot, professor, though. scientist, uh, you know, <laughs> he's like, that's, that's amazing that it's scientifically proven since science doesn't prove things. That's not what science does. <laughs> and it was just You're like, so we, dad, come yeah. on. So You're we like, joked dad, just about, buy me the freaking neck brace. Exactly. Yeah. So we joked about kind of like, what would the scientifically appropriate marketing be? It would be like not scientifically disproven to help you sleep <laughs> on an airplane or something data, like that. The data generally, but it's not completely supportive of it helping you to sleep on an airplane. Yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. Good luck. I like that. Another critique of Sternberg's studies was that they were all American subjects, but this mm. in 2020 was was remedied uh, by a study that was looking internationally. So this is a 2020 study published in the Journal of Sex Research by a multinational team of 115 researchers. Wow. Literally, if you have like a word count or a page count for a research paper, and you put this in there, you will instantly hit your word count because the citation, <laughs> the citation for this has 115 names in it. So you'll have yeah. like 20 pages of your of bibliography names. at the end and you only yeah. have to write like one page of paper. It's brilliant. <laughs> so this it was study, so long and I had to sit and count every single one of those names because I was wait, like, whoa. What? You wanted to yes, know how I many? I wanted to know. I was like, this is a big chunky citation. Like this is so many names. And so I sat there and counted how many research it was and Amazing. it was 115. Yeah. Wow. So oh this study looked at over 7,000 participants from 25 countries and including at least one from every single inhabited continent. And their findings did support that there is a cross-cultural universality to these three elements. So these aren't only in our culture, but that there is at least a certain extent that this is universal. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the cool thing about the study was when they were getting subjects is basically the only criteria was you had to be over 18 and you had to just like be currently in a relationship, but they didn't put any restrictions on whether that was a heterosexual relationship hmm. or not, whether you were married or dating or Monogamous. whatever it was. Or, cool. or they not. didn't say anything about monogamy or non. Hmm. It just said you had to be in a relationship. Um, and again, the so, three yeah. are commitment passion intimacy yeah exactly that they're like yes it does seem that cross-culturally these check out as being these three common building blocks or common elements when it comes to different types of love and different types of relationships around the globe and they did say that you know they collected a lot of data about socioeconomic socioeconomic status and work and family of origin and stuff like that but they didn't really like crunch any of that data or like mine any of that data necessarily they were suggesting and they say that, that this is a place that future researchers could look though to look at some of these things right to like look at that data and try to find other mm-hmm. correlations and things like that yes yeah, yeah that's cool uh so why do we care about triangles yeah. <laughs> why do we <laughs> why do we care about these triangles specifically yeah yeah is there any way to actually apply this in the real world so in some of sternberg's later studies and remember that he did eventually come around and and kind of repeat his studies with uh, older skewing or kind of a more wider age range more diverse group of subjects 
And he has over the years started to expand on this triangular model. And he pointed out the fact that at any given time and at any given relationship, we may actually be working with multiple triangles that we are comparing to each other. It's like the multiverse, multi-triangular verse. I was thinking it's like the string theory of love triangles. Oh, where there's like multi-dimensional good. triangles yeah. all existing in the same space yes. across yes. dimensions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so cool. the first of these dimensions is uh, the ideal triangle versus the real triangle. So this mm-hmm. is kind of about either the nicely matching up or the conflict between how we would like our relationship to be and how it actually is at the moment. So an example would be, you know, I want to have an ideal relationship that's high on all three elements and even in all of them, but currently it's high passion and high intimacy, but low on commitment. And so there can be tension there from wanting it to be that. I could also Mm -hmm. imagine another one where it's like, I have a relationship that's very high on intimacy and high on commitment. And really, I just wish all we did was bone each other. Like, I wish it was just all passion. You know, there's like lots of different ways that this could look. Uh, But yeah, so that that dimension is the ideal versus the real triangle. Yes. Yeah. So another dimension of this is the self-perceived triangle versus what he calls the other perceived triangle. So as in how I perceive the relationship versus how my partner perceives the relationship. Mm, So maybe the way, yeah, the way I perceive the relationship is, oh, yeah, I think we're super high in intimacy. Like... We know each other so well. We're so closely attached. We're best friends. But maybe the way my partner perceives it is differently. Maybe the way they perceive it is like, I don't feel like my partner knows me very well at all. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How about this dimension? The feelings triangle versus the action triangle. Mm. So how we feel in the relationship versus what actions we take in the relationship. So, for example, you might feel super committed to your partner but in reality, you actually drop the ball all the time. You don't demonstrate your commitment in effective ways. You choose to, like, be a flaky flaky. I don't know. Something like that. So, right. okay. Yeah. The challenges here are that these are all, like, trouble brewing dimensions. Trouble is well, brewing. Well, the, the examples we gave uh, from the That's examples true. we gave it can sound not great. Yes, And it is theorized that with all of these triangle comparisons, the more different they look from each other, the more likely that the relationship dissatisfaction will increase. That makes a lot of sense. You want those things to kind of correlate and go together. That if you you and your partner perceive the same level of intimacy and commitment, etc., then you're going to be happier. Mm -hmm. If your actions are the same as your feelings, you're going to be happier. If your ideal is the same as your real happier or vice versa just the closer they match to each other right maybe they don't have to match perfectly but the closer they are okay yeah 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 and so this like triangle multiverse is (laughs) i think my favorite part of this whole theory because i feel like this is the most actionable this is the part that i think carries the most weight in the real world a little bit almost like a diagnostic tool And I mean, of course, there's no empirical diagnostic tools necessarily for relationships, but I think that knowing this can be really helpful for taking the temperature of the relationship for yourself. You know, you can think about, is there a discrepancy between my ideal version of this relationship and where it currently is? 
you know, do I feel like it's missing passion or missing intimacy or missing commitment or that it has too much of any one of those things? Is there something specific that I could ask for? I think that this is a great question to think about, especially when starting out a relationship. And I think it's a good question to just constantly check in with yourself as time is going on. Yeah, it's a good prompt for a check-in to just, especially if they've also listened to this episode or maybe read this research, is to just kind of check in and be like, hey, what does our relationship triangle look like? What has it looked like in the past? What do we want it to look like? And just kind of checking in about it. And now the the qualification I want to make here is that I could also see this conversation being real stressful and going really bad if Mm -hmm. they answer a way you don't expect and you're upset by it. So I would encourage you to This is something, though, that I think would be really good if you're able to go into it from a place of, we're doing this to just explore and learn. And and maybe it's not actually that the relationship is very different for each of you, but maybe just that you kind of think on a different scale of it, right? There's not like an absolute zero to 10 of like 10 means exactly this. It's all kind of relative to who knows what, maybe what they think other people have, what they think they want in their life versus what it is right now. Like there's a lot of factors, but I do think it could be really useful as a conversation starter, uh, as just sort of a way to check in and talk about that and see how it's going. I think this is also a great conversation to kind of sidestep into if it feels a little bit too intense to dive right into, hey, Mm -hmm. partner, let's sit down. (laughs) Like let's sit down and see how we measure up on this triangle. You know, it can be a really interesting conversation to talk about, like what was your perception of your parents? relationship growing mm. up mm. what wow. did their triangle look uh, look like what about past relationships that you've been in what about um you know relationships close to you that you feel like are really high functioning and that you look up to like what are the things that you notice what does that triangle potentially look like that that if it's too intense to dive straight in it can be helpful just to look at the relationships around you or from your past well and dedeker as you mentioned earlier in the episode for things like commitment that our culture kind of has a different ideas of what commitment really means. So that also could be a way to start that conversation of, well, what does this part of the triangle mean to you? Like when you say commitment, what does that mean? And when you say intimacy, what does that mean? And that could be interesting too, of just exploring what's in those possibly because it relates to whatever our parents or other relationships we see around us. And if the two of you have differing opinions on what your relationship looks like and what your triangle looks like, then you can ask and sort of cultivate, like, how can I express my intimacy or my passion for you or my commitment to you in a way that you would feel as though this is something that you're getting from me? This is something that is more along the lines of, like, how you want this relationship to look and vice versa, what are the things that my partner can do in order to kind of move the relationship in the direction where the two of you have more of a melding of the minds, Yeah, as it were. Yeah. Something we've mentioned before on the show, but that we wanted to recommend again, is the book Eight Dates by the Gottmans. And it's, uh, I would say... From what we found and what Dedeker learned also, like talking with some of the people from the Gottman Institute, that it's very much best as a tool for a relationship that's already pretty good. It's not a tool for like repairing uh, a relationship that's super disconnected. But if you've already got a pretty decent foundation, 
the eight dates book is each week you go on a different date where you kind of theme the date and also talk about uh, a different topic, sort of a different area. And it definitely overlaps with a lot of this sort of stuff that we're talking about in this episode here. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. So in conclusion, triangles, do you got them? I got them. How how many do you have? I don't know. So many. It's a multiverse of triangles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is definitely one. This is a really, really interesting theory. And it's one that I definitely want to chew on for a little while longer. Sternberg also went on to develop a, he kind of turned this into a whole new theory as well. Like he kind of developed this theory of love as story, which is something that I've only barely scratched the surface on. We might uh, do another episode on that sometime in the future. So there's, there's even progressions from here. There's love even it. more, more geom- triangles, to more be geometry had. to be uncovered. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> wow. cool. oh my goodness. Okay. So for those of you who are patrons, we are going to do a bonus episode where we're going to be getting all polysemous if you know what i mean and i know you know that word nope i know you know exactly what it means Uh, uh -uh. (laughs) Um, well if you don't know what it means then you better listen to the bonus episode seamus who's polyamorous no 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 i didn't say poly i said polysemous thank you very much Hmm. yeah but sometimes i look at the word seamus and it looks like seamus so that's what i think that's true okay And to all of you out there listening, we would love to know where do your relationships fall on this scale? What does your triangle look like between intimacy, passion, and commitment? We're going to be asking that in our Instagram story for this week. So go to our Instagram and check that out. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.